There's a snap. There's a kick. It is up. It is. No good. No one missed. I think we got a heck of a shot of winning. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. For all you non-believers, disrespect us. Talk crap about the defense like we ain't the third best defense in the league. See you in Pittsburgh. Can't wait. Fitzpatrick. Enzo. Eric Decker holds it in. The Jets win in overtime. And the New York Giants, given the last rights by many in December, are the Super Bowl champs in February. This is NFL Friday. Going long on all news, reaction, and game picks for the Giants, Jets, and across the NFL on WFUV Sports. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of NFL Friday here on this Friday, February 4th of 2022. Well, folks, it is the week you've all been waiting for it is the pro bowl this sunday no i'm just kidding nobody nobody cares about that just a little bit of a joke uh but in all seriousness we are less than two weeks away from the super bowl and following last week's stellar conference championship games we know who we're going to have in that game it'll be the cincinnati Bengals taking on the los angeles rams in the 56th installment of the big game we will of course be breaking down the AFC and NFC championship games from this past Sunday. And we'll also touch on two very big stories coming out of the NFL this week. The first being the retirement of Tom Brady. We heard about that earlier on Tuesday and the second and far more serious story. That being, of course, the class action lawsuit followed by Brian Flores against the NFL, the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos and the Miami Dolphins. So we'll break that down a bit as well. And here to break everything down with me, is Jack Roach. Jack, how's it going? I'm good, Mike. And I got to be honest with you, this is only my second time doing NFL Friday. The first being my freshman year when Brady brought the team to the Super Bowl against the Rams, which they ended up winning when he was a Patriot. And here we are at his retirement. So really come full circle in my time at FUV, you know, in terms of Tom Brady, big fan from Boston, Massachusetts. You guys all know that. So, you know, special edition for me. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's full circle. I didn't realize you hadn't been on since freshman year. That's kind of crazy. So good to have you on here. And also, I'd like to welcome in our other co-host for the show, Tyler Who. Tyler, how's it going? I'm doing well. It's a packed show today. I'm excited to talk about a lot of stuff. we got stuff on both ends of the spectrum. The Super Bowl I'm excited about. Obviously, we got to wait another week for that. Uh, I mean, the Pro Bowl is going to be kind of light. But um, it's two teams that are very, like, likable. So it's, like, one of the more likable Super Bowls uh, between, like, there's nothing really to hate there. Um, Brady's retirement is obviously a massive story, and so is the Brian Flores story. Um, I really can't wait. I'm excited to be here, though. Yeah, I mean, look, you bring up the Super Bowl matchup. I think I agree. I think this is one of the better matchups we've had in a while. I mean, Cincinnati, not exactly the sexiest name, if you will, on, on the on the docket, but – Two teams that are likable, uh, good players, good stars. I mean, the Rams, I get it. They were here a couple of years ago, but I mean, that was with Jared Goff, a little bit different, obviously in the OBJ. So it's a good variety matchup. I think I think things are, you know, a little bit different than years past, which I like to see. But you know what? Let's get started by recapping those championship games from last Sunday over in the AFC. The aforementioned Cincinnati Bengals defeated the Kansas City Chiefs in an overtime thriller 27-24 
definitely the best of the two games. And then over in the NFC, the Rams managed to stave off the 49ers overcoming San Francisco 20 to 17. A lot to break down from both games. Let's start off with the lesser of the two matchups and then we can work into the better one. Jack, any thoughts on the NFC championship game? Any takeaways? What do you think? Well, I watched this game and I thought to myself, the 49ers are going to be here for a while, right? But they were always going to be limited by Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think we probably just saw his last game as a 49er. I mean, they drafted Trey Lance for a reason and he got some action, but you know, you're always going to work him in and, we just didn't see enough from Jimmy Garoppolo in that game to really have a reason to stick with him going forward. So I'm excited by the potential of this team. You've got some great players and Nick Bosa, you saw Debo Samuel kind of emerge into one of the most exciting Swiss army players in the league. But I just think that they're going to go in that direction that they intended with when they drafted Trey Lance. Fair enough, Tyler. Um, so I got two angles on this. I, first of all, the Trey Lance era has begun. Um, I'm very excited as a, a pretty big Trey Lance fan. I loved him coming out of North Dakota state. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, he great guy. Um, you know, really good looking, but he's just not that guy. He's not, he's not a good quarterback. Like at the NFL level, he's holding, he's been holding them back. And ever since like, they really got good. And he, he, yeah, he um it was a long time coming. End of the game with a pick, uh, end of the game with a costly turnover. And down the stretch, he was atrocious. But um, you know, good 49ers career for Jimmy G. Pretty successful in terms of wins. In terms of play, yeah. But it's I'm excited for the Trey Lance era. Jackie Wright, the 49ers will be here for a while. They are an unbelievable team. Well coached by Shanahan, D'Amico Ryan's. Oh, well, we'll see what Mike McDaniel does because I think he might be getting a new head coaching job. But this is a team that I'm really excited to see for the next decade. Um, as in terms of the Rams, all their gambles finally are about to pay off. They made it to the Super Bowl. That was their goal. Get back. Um, Matthew Stafford, massive upgrade on Jared Goff. Uh, the midseason additions of Odell Beckham Jr. and Von Miller have paid off massively. And, I mean, they, they look like – at times they look like a well-oiled machine. Obviously, not all the time because they played a very good 49ers defense, but I'm really excited for to see them play in the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, look, I think you guys both brought up some great points. Let me just kind of touch on, excuse me, Jimmy Garoppolo here real quick. If you look at his overall stats, you know, 16 of 30, 232 yards, two touchdowns, and INT, nothing terrible. You look at that and said, hey, he had an okay game. But, you know, if you watch Jimmy Garoppolo play, you can just tell that he's just – not up to snuff. He's not a franchise quarterback. And on the, the 49ers, final two possessions of the game, he was only one of six for minus three yards in the interception. So, again, you kind of knew as that game was getting close down the stretch, this was not a guy that was going to win you this football game. And you know what, Trey Lance, look, we, we saw a little bit of him this year. I definitely think there needs to be some development that's going to happen. Who knows what will happen with San Francisco next year. But, hey, credit to Kyle Shanahan. Like you guys both mentioned, this is a very talented team. And, you know, I'll be interested to see what happens going forward. And then as far as the Rams, look, making it to the Super Bowl, I think obviously Tyler kind of mentioned it, this, the trade for Matthew Stafford, the signing of Odell Beckham, those paid off big time. It's actually McVay's first win against Kyle Shanahan as head coach of the, uh, you know, 49ers. McVay had never beaten him. So the Rams actually snapped a six-game losing streak. And this is also the fifth time the Rams will be going to the Super Bowl as a franchise. Of course, they made it in 1979 as the original Los Angeles Rams. 99 with Kurt Warner in, in St. Louis, where they won. 2001, where they lost to the Patriots in St. Louis. And then, they, of course, they made it 
in 2018 upon their return to LA. And now they'll be back again this year. Before we kind of get to the ASU championship game though, want to hear your thoughts kind of on the, on this Rams team thoughts on Matthew Stafford. And frankly, you know, is this a team? I mean, are we, I, I don't want to do pickems yet for the Super Bowl. We're going to save that for next week's show, but is this, I mean, I think Vegas says they're the fair. Is that deservedly so Jack? I don't know. They've just got so many options. That offense is, it's one of the most electric offenses I've ever seen. And they were doing numbers like that before they got Odell. And now he's returned to his, his giants form. I mean, I think his season stats are on par with a lot of guys that played the whole year. Um, and he just wasn't really working out in, uh, in Cleveland, but I feel like, and you know, I don't, I don't want to give any Super Bowl picks, but I feel like it makes sense to, to see this team and think, all right, they're the favorite that that's, you know, that's not a shocker. So for me and the Bengals, it's just, it's the story, you know, it's the narrative and they've, I don't know. I, I can't, I honestly can't tell you which one I've got yet, but I think I, I'm not shocked by, by the Rams being the favorite in this one. Um, I, as, as well, I, I don't think, anybody's surprised that the Rams are the favorite. I, I mean, I st- understand the line being forced. It's a close line. It's not like it's the, uh, what do you call it? The Bengals chiefs game where it was seven, like a big expecting a blowout. Vegas is expecting a close game. So am I, I think it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a good game. No predictions yet. I'm excited though, but I mean, this game for the Rams, as, as far as I know, is the definition of why situation matters so much. Look at Matthew Stafford stuck in Detroit for, I believe like a, 12 years, um, you know, made three playoff games, never really succeeded. And people really slept on him. Um, I was a big Matthew Stafford fan for a long time. Just, you know, watching He's such a talented guy, such his arm talent. He makes some of the craziest throws I've ever seen with the sidearm fling and that, like, like a missile. And he'll make some crazy throws, some crazy, not so good throws, like the one that he threw to Jaquaski Tart that Tart dropped in the NFC Championship. But he's an unbelievable quarterback. Same deal with Odell. Odell stuck in Cleveland, not really happy uh, with a not very good quarterback in Baker Mayfield. Um, and, you know, just not thriving. And then he gets unlocked again in um, in L.A. under the McVay system where he gets to be a little more free reign, run the X, run receivers as an X receiver, just be on the outside, make plays, you know, free free roam, and look like himself. He looks, instead of 29, he looks 25 again at times. He looks really good. And um, his games, as I said, it's why situation matters. So I'm really excited for this game. I think the Rams, this is a very, this was my, the Rams were my Super Bowl pick preseason. I had them, coming in winning the Super Bowl and you know there's one step away so I'm really excited for this one yeah look I think you guys bring up some great points there's a you know a lot of good stuff at the Rams here I think that they're a great team to have in the Super Bowl of course I'd be remiss if I didn't mention you know it's, it's a home game for them in a sense it's at SoFi but obviously look Ram fans don't exactly travel the best even in their their home city so who knows and obviously crazy expensive tickets who so who knows how much that's going to play out of course in the entire history of the Super Bowl we never had a team play in their home stadium until last year when the Bucks did it. And now two years in a row, we have representatives from the home stadium. Kind of crazy, but hey, good representative from the NFC. Hopefully we have a competitive game. But let's move over now to the AFC Championship game. Let's recap that stellar, stellar game. Uh, real quick, little fun fact for you. Only two quarterbacks have won a national championship and a Super Bowl. Those being Joe Namath and Joe Montana and Joe Burrow with this win in the AFC Championship game. 
is looking to become the third. And of course, oddly enough, they're all named Joe. So that's kind of interesting for you. But let's break down the game action a bit. So, of course, the Bengals won in overtime with the Evan McPherson field goal following the Patrick Mahomes interception. This will be the Bengals' third Super Bowl appearance in franchise history. They have never won. It's their first appearance in 33 years since Boomer Esiason took them in the 80s, facing off against Joe Montana and the 49ers. And you know what? Look, this was an excellent, excellent game. You know, the Bengals were down 21 to 3. 18-point deficit, seemed like the Chiefs were going to steamroll them. And then, look, halftime, well, right before the half, the, the Chiefs seemed to be, you know, on the precipice of getting another touchdown. They failed to get in. And you know what? That second half, the Bengals' defense really shut down Kansas City. Joe Burrow, of course, mounted some drives there. And, look, to me, it seemed like Cincinnati's game to lose in that second half. And, you know, just some terrible clock management by the Chiefs. I already mentioned the first half. Terrible clock management at the end of the second half before overtime. Um, they just – it was a sloppy game for Kansas City, I think, especially in that second half. They really took their foot off the gas. And I really think that failure to get that touchdown at the end of the first messed with their heads. I don't, I don't really know what happened. Mahomes just kind of seemed off the rest of the game. But, look, it was a great, great game. Uh, Jack, what are your takeaways from this AFC Championship matchup? Mike, I remember uh, a couple weeks ago we were in studio together. And Bengals are playing the Titans. And I go, Titans are locked to win this one, right? And you know what? I love Joe Burrow, but the same thought went through my head with the Chiefs in this one. And time and time again, Joe Burrow's proven me wrong. And, you know, as good as he's been, if it wasn't for Evan McPherson making big-time field goals, they wouldn't be in the Super Bowl. I mean, I think he's made 12 field goals, four in each game, and he's perfect on, on extra points too. So, a lot of things have gone right for the Bengals. Offense has been great. Defense made a lot of timely stops. I just think that everything's really clicking at the right time for this Bengals team. And I got to say, I think Joe Burrow has won over the heart of every football fan in America. I mean, he's, you know, you could say he's the most likable player in football right now. And I think because of that, a lot of people are pulling them to win Super Bowl 56. Um, yeah, well, shout out to Shooter McPherson, Evan McPherson. I think he's about three points away or three field goals away from um, that record by Adam Vinatieri of 49 points in that, I think it was a 2006 run. Um, this Bengals team is unreal. I mean, like, they're just so fun to watch. But um, this game is what we call a tale of two halves. Um, after the, what do you call, after the Chiefs took a 21-3 lead in the first half, I thought it was over. But then again, I thought back to that first matchup between them in week 17, where the Chiefs also got the very early double-digit lead. Um, never count out Joe Burrow. Never count out that defense led by a guy like Jesse Bates, Trey Hendrickson. Um, first of all, might be the signing of the season. Might be the signing of the season. 14 sacks. Dialed up the pressure on Mahomes this, um, this past weekend. And this team is a team that's like just, as I said, fun to watch. Underdogs slept on. You know, they have a coach that was first on literally the first guy amongst betting odds to be fired this past season. Um, people thought Zach Taylor was going to be canned during like midseason. Um, proved them wrong. He's in the Super Bowl now. I don't think it's all credit to him. I think it's credit to the players. But, you know, it's a, it's a nice little underdog story. Um I'd like to dial, uh, give a lot of credit to Lou Adam uh, on Rumo. I think that's how you say it. The yeah, defensive the coordinator, the, the DC of the um, Bengals. 
I mean, dialed up an unbelievable second half game plan. Decided, all right, Mahomes is killing us. Uh, let's let's drop back a little bit, drop eight guys in the coverage, and make make him beat us. Give him time, make him think, make him overthink. And then their guys would get pressure off the edge, like three guys. Maybe, maybe they sent four guys. But, man, I mean, Mahomes looked awful. He looked terrible in the second half. He looked like Jimmy Garoppolo, hmm. uh, frankly, as another quarterback who played this past weekend. He did not look good. Um, yeah, that was that that was a very impressive second half by the Bengals and overtime, of course. Um, their defense as I mean, their defense has been underrated all year. I mean, if you go up to a casual fan, you you ask them to name like more than two players on that defense, they wouldn't know. Uh, but man, they are they are fun to watch. They play hungry, they play on all three levels, they put they play they defend the run as well as anybody in the league and their past defense started to come along. It was really good. So, yeah, no, shout-out to the Bengals, shout-out to their defense, and shout-out to Joe Burrow. Uh, yeah, I mean, shout-out to the Cincinnati Bengals team overall. They've been a surprise player. You know, I didn't think they'd make it this far. I thought even that wild-card game against the Raiders was up in the air, and the fact that they made it all the way to the Super Bowl, huge props to them. I think Joe Burrow is definitely establishing himself as one of the top quarterbacks in the AFC, one of the top quarterbacks in the league. So, I mean, look, you got him, you got Herbert, you got Mahomes, you got Lamar Jackson. It is going to be a stacked, you know, AFC for Josh Allen for years to come. Uh, you know, but real quick, one thing I want to talk about this game that, you know, kind of stood out to me. Look, the Bengals, all credit where credit is due. Fantastic second half. The defense was superb. You know, not many teams can shut down Mahomes and the Chiefs. And it reminded me a little bit of a Jack, you know, Mac Jones is not. The Pro Bowl uh, on, on on the future. Yeah, I saw I the, saw that Mike flash. That was so Pro subtle. That is, I'm sorry. Look, no one. It, it's is, the it's the Pro Bowl. It's the it's Pro Bowl. They needed an alternate. I'm I'm sorry. They could have gotten he, someone better. Jack. He made, he made the Pro Bowl just like Mitch he, Trubisky did in 2018. I, I, I don't I don't want to get into a, a Mac Jones debate here, but look, he was on a very talented team. He did his job. He was exposed down the stretch at the end of the season. He's limited in what he can do i think he's gonna be a fine quarterback in this league i don't think he's ever gonna be like an elite guy he just lost his offensive coordinator josh mcdaniels who i think needs a lot of credit for his success so that's not for this show we'll, we'll get to that another time jack he we're, we're on zoom folks for those listening on the podcast we're doing this over zoom jack sends a little chat my way but i digress back to my point which was Bengals. credit to them great second half my question is though to me, it seemed really that the Chiefs, not much in the Bengals didn't deserve to win, but I really think it was a real combination of the, the Bengals winning and the Chiefs really losing, if you know what I'm saying. They really were asking to lose this game. So when you look at the Chiefs, whether it's the defense, the offense, Mahomes, Andy Reid, you know, who really do you pin this loss on? And Jack, we'll start with you. Ooh, that's tough. I mean, I saw some tweet today saying that Andy Reid, his legacy is kind of like defined by Patrick Mahomes. Like, if it wasn't for him, he'd just be we, – we'd see him as a disappointment as a coach because of, like – I mean, I guess he didn't have a great success in Philadelphia. We thought that was going to be more than it turned out to be. Um, I don't know. Patrick – I don't know. I think it was a team loss, right? Like, there were a lot of breakdowns across – I don't know, Mike. You really you, – you hit me with a tough question. I don't quite have an no, answer. I'm here to do. I mean, it was a great question. I'll give you that. Tyler, you, you got a better response than me? I have an idea, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, I think this loss falls flat on Andy Reid. Um, terrible clock management, killed the momentum of the team. 
I mean, when your quarterback doesn't know that they're, and this is a, just a communication thing, when your quarterback doesn't know that you have zero timeouts with the last play of the first half, and he throws that little five yard uh, out or a five five yard short route to Tyreek Hill, and Tyreek gets tackled in front of the goal line by a guy I don't like, uh, Eli Apple. <laughs> As Giants, Saints fans, and Ravens fans know, this past week on Twitter, we don't like it, but um, you can't like let that happen if you're Patrick Mahomes you have to know that there's timeouts there's no timeouts left but then again Andy Reid wasting two timeouts on that challenge in the first half it's pretty what I would call Joe Judge and coaching really bad coaching uh terrible clock management this has been the theme of Andy Reid's career unbelievable play caller nice guy smart one of the smartest coaches the NFL's ever seen but a terrible clock manager and it bit him in the butt again um yeah, no, this loss falls flat on Andy Reid. I mean, Mahomes played terrible in the second half, and they when your when your run game is going so well in the first half, Jarek McKinnon is running all over the Bengals defense, who I mentioned is a are a very good run defense. To have six run attempts in the second half when you're up 21-10 is bad coaching, frankly. That's just bad coaching. You gotta you gotta establish a run. You gotta keep going, pound, pounding the rock, you know. Put your you know, just put the Bengals away. But no, Andy Reid decides to play conservative coaching, uh, decides to coach scared, and, you know, he got outcoached by Zach Taylor, which is not something I would expect myself to say this week. Yeah, look, um, Tyler, I think you bring up some good points. Real quick, something that Jack said, uh, the idea that Andy Reid wouldn't be anything without Mahomes. I know you didn't say that, but what you saw – um, look, I defy you to find the great coach that didn't have a great quarterback. Tom Landry had Roger Staubach, Vince Lombardi had Bart Starr, Bill Belichick had Tom Brady. I mean, you want to keep going, you know, Terry Bradshaw and Chuck Knoll, uh, Don Shula and Dan Marino, on and on and on. No great coach. There's not one singular great winning coach that did not have a great quarterback. I know Marino didn't win the Super Bowl, but that's besides the point. Won a lot of games. So Peyton Manning and Tony Dungy, I can keep going forever. So I don't I don't know if I'm I really buy into that. I think it's just how that the NFL works. You can't win games without a great quarterback. Um, but in terms of blame for this loss, I mean Tyler, I totally agree with some of the points you said about Andy Reid. For me, I think it's Mahomes. Now look, I'm one of the I'm someone who look personally. I hate always laying the blame at the feet of the quarterback. I think that's a ridiculous thing. It happens too often. You know, I said it many times with the Jets this year. It seemed like Zach Wilson was always getting blamed for issues that weren't his fault. Um, you know, so I, I always hesitate to do that. And it's a team sport. So I think there needs to be blame all around. That being said, you know, I think Mahomes really cost his team and played in a funk, especially, like I said, in that second half. Um, you, Tyler, you mentioned the communication. Uh, to me, you shouldn't even have to be communicated. You're the, the star quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You're a veteran and a former MVP. You need to know how many timeouts you have and you need to know what you're looking for here. You need to know, hey, this ball needs to go towards the end zone. And if it's not, it's incomplete. We're kicking the field goal. You need to know that kind of stuff. You need to know in the second half, the same thing. You can't be taking a, a sack, multiple sacks, as you're getting near the goal line, trying to win this game, wasting clock. Um, and then also you can't be in overtime, you know, you know, just because you like the, the receiver forcing a ball in double coverage to Tyreek Hill. It just seems time after time, Mahomes was making poor decisions, wasn't thinking again. He seemed off. I don't know what was wrong with him. He just seemed mentally out of it, like he was sleepwalking. And again, I always hesitate to put the blame on one guy. Uh, but I had to go with Mahomes. I mean, even that play, um, you know, where there's the tip pass at, the, at, the, uh, the, at the, the line of scrimmage caught by the Bengals, you know, Mahomes trying to set up a screen. It wasn't there. I, it's, again, I don't really know what he was what he was looking for in this game. 
Um, but before we move on to some of the other news from this week, any final thoughts on the AFC championship game? You go I mean, ahead. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a great game. Um, Bengals playing yet another great game, another one score game as they have all postseason. I think um, just another game that ends on the final play, which is unbelievable. We love that for football. Um, you know, it's been two back-to-back weeks of unbelievable football. Hopefully, and we're. I, I think after a couple of like, I consider mediocre Super Bowls, we're due for a great Super Bowl. I think this is the one. I think this. I'm really excited for this matchup. A uh, little bittersweet end of hot streak for me. Uh, the Bengals or Chiefs game was the first game I picked wrong. <laughs> Subtle was like the first game I picked wrong all postseason. But you know. I'm not. I'm not ashamed. I mean, this is a fun. This is a team that I love. I, I really like the Bengals. I like what they bring. So you know, I'm really excited for this uh, Super Bowl. I think, as I've said maybe a million times already, but uh, I think the Bengals will put up a great fight and they might win this game. I have no predictions yet. No predictions yet. I'm not going to let my preseason picks sway me. I'm still on. I'm still thinking right now. But you know, we got we got a couple. We got what nine days till the Super Bowl. Um, as as of time of recording this, you know. Got a lot of time to think. Nine days, just like the number of the quarter, both quarterbacks that play in the Super Bowl this week, uh, in two weeks. I mean, man, that's what dreams are made of. It's Super Bowl. I'm excited. I'll keep it short and sweet. I don't think the Bengals would be here if they drafted Penny Sewell. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. That's an interesting matchup to look at in this game, Jack, with that Rams pass rush versus this porous. Bengals O-line could be a bit of a mismatch. We'll see what happens. I'll say this. One thing that's not really getting any play yet, and it probably will as we get closer, you know, people forget Zach Taylor got that Bengals head coaching job because of his connection to the Rams. Quarterback coach with L.A. under Sean McVay, the pupil and the master, if you will, even though I think Zach Taylor is older. But, you know, that's that's the kind of the weird thing about Sean McVay. But, hey, I think we're in line for a great Super Bowl. We've all said it. Some great storylines going in. And at the bottom line, at the end of the day, what I want, a competitive game. I have no dog in the fight. I just want to see a good matchup. So hopefully we get a good back-and-forth football game. So let's move on now to some storylines and headlines from the NFL this week. And let's start off with the retirement of the one Tom Brady. Probably, I think we can all agree, the greatest quarterback, arguably the greatest player that has ever played the game. As much as it pains me to say that, you know, as a Jet fan, someone who was tormented by Tom Brady year after year, uh, you know, I always think back to for anyone that's seen the classic movie Anchorman at the end of the movie when Vince Vaughn's character tells Ron Burgundy, Will Ferrell, I hate you, but I respect you. And that's how I feel about Tom Brady. I am not a fan, but I respect the hell out of him. So his 22 year career is over, retiring at the age of 44. He said he wanted to play until 45, but didn't get there. Regardless, very long and prosperous career. You know, obviously we had those reports circulating excuse me, last Saturday about, you know, as he retiring, Schefter came out and said he was, and then there was all this denial. It was crazy. You know, to me, it just seemed that, you know, Schefter got the right report. Brady just wasn't ready to announce it. He was even denying all the way up until Monday uh, when he did his podcast with Jim Gray. But then on Tuesday, he finally came out and confirmed in on an Instagram post. Yes, I am retiring. And look, I could, you know, so many accolades to run down here, you know, in terms of records, most career passing yards, passing touchdowns, and then, you know, seven Super Bowls, 10 Super Bowl appearances, five Super Bowl MVPs, three NFL MVPs, 15 Pro Bowls, and on, and on, and on. His, his Wikipedia, you know, awards tab is, you know, twice the size of most career player tab. So, I mean, the guy is just – I mean, we all said it. It's like beating a dead horse. There's only really else you can say. He's the GOAT. Um, you know, Jack, you're the Patriots fan, so I want to go to you last because I'm sure you have most to say. 
So Tyler, you're more of a neutral party. Your thoughts? Um, I mean, congrats to Tom Brady on a great career. Um, unfortunately for him, never beat my quarterback Eli Manning in a Super Bowl. Uh, as a Giants fan, uh, two two and zero over Tom Brady when it matters the most. Um, I mean, shout out to Tom Brady, great career. I I never really hated him just because like I really didn't have any reason to. Um, I, even though he was like the villain, I was like, all right, just neutral on him. Disliked him a little bit at times, but. Tampa Tom was really fun. Tampa, fun guy. Really great guy. Uh, slamming avocado tequilas, throwing the ball at 60 yards down the field to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know, what's well, not the love there? But um, Tom Brady has literally every accolade in the book. If we look at it, He's, his career is longer than our lives. I think all three of us uh, are younger than or 21 or 22. We're all 21 or 22. We're Tom Brady's played 22 seasons. It's crazy to see. Um, that I haven't, I haven't been alive for a, like a season where Tom Brady hasn't played football, which is just wild to me. Uh, he's got, as I said, every accolade in the book, besides the MVP, of course. Uh, so he, I don't think he's better than Mitchell Trubisky, but, um, you know, what can we say? Maybe one day he'll get it, uh, come back as a commentator for Nickelodeon. That being said, if we're being serious here, that's the greatest quarterback of all time right there. Um, he has more Super Bowls than every franchise in the NFL on his own. So, you know, it's kind of cool. I'd say he's pretty good, pretty good at football. That being said, uh, maybe you'll beat Eli Manning in something in retirement because you didn't do it when it mattered most. But shout out to Tom Brady. I just wanted to throw a couple of jabs in there at, uh, at him. But it's all love, real talk. It's all love. He's a class act, greatest quarterback to ever do it. You know, enjoy retirement with the family. I was at Brady's last game as a Patriot where they lost to the Titans. And it was the day after I got my wisdom teeth out. I was miserable, but I remember the last offensive drive for the Patriots where they had the ball with like 40 seconds to go. And I think, I think Brady threw a pick six and it was pretty sad. Yep. But I remember they had the ball like at their own 15 yard line or so, you know, like they're in, you know, deep in their own territory or I always flip the two up, but um, I vividly remember thinking fully convinced that the Patriots were going to pull this comeback off. And that's something that you never had a lead that felt safe with Tom Brady. And maybe that's because of, you know, the Atlanta Super Bowl. but the year before that he led the team to, I think the first double digit deficit heading into the fourth quarter in a Super Bowl. You don't see that happen, and then you almost expect it with Brady, and we almost saw a repeat of that in the Bucks last game. So, I mean, I have so much to say about him. You know, he retires at 44, which almost seems too early. You know, he – he, <laughs> I think I saw a stat that he had uh, the second most receiving yards for any player over the age of 40 with uh, Grant Hill yeah, six. With Jerry Rice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, listen, you look at his numbers. I know Rodgers is the MVP, but if we're talking strictly statistics, I think Brady had the edge. I know we could debate that all day long, but the fact that I can even have like somewhat of a conversation for Brady is shocking. You know, I know he wanted to play to 45, but he's doing a year short. He certainly could have played to 45. And, you know, listen, he made a lot of you know, childhood dreams come true for me, loved watching him growing up. And now I'm starting to realize the, you know, 
how grueling it is to actually be an NFL fan for, you know, a team that doesn't have Tom Brady. Like I get so pumped over Mac Jones because I'm like, all right, we're moving in the right direction, you know? So love Tom Brady. I could talk forever about him. I'm happy to see him retire and, you know, TB12 we trust. Um, one thing I got to say, um, you know how this thing goes, Father Time is undefeated. I think Father Time just caught its first loss on um, this past <laughs> Tuesday. I'll say this, why? Because Tom Brady retired on his own terms. The best thing is watching him retire on his own terms after pa- probably playing one of his best seasons of his career. I'd say this past season was unbelievable. I mean, the dude threw for 5,300 yards. I know 17-game season, but you take that out, that's basically what? one 300-yard game away, still over – I'm assuming he still throws over 5,000 in a 16-game season. Um, like 40-something touchdowns, led the league in literally everything. Uh, really good quarterback, played his best – I mean, played his best football, and he lost some of his best weapons. He lost Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette for a little bit, um, A.B. A, uh, we, we know how that one went. But, um, I mean – to do all of that and just like have such a good season is insane. Like we've seen quarterbacks that in the past or just like athletes in the past kind of succumb to father time. I mean, like one example that comes to mind for football related is longtime rival Peyton Manning kind of, I know he went out with the Super Bowl, but man, he was terrible in his last season. Very washed up. Um, that That's crazy that Brady ended like with one of his best seasons of his career. And I think he could have played till. As crazy as it sounds, I think he could have played till 50. I mean, with a really good Bucks, Bucks offensive line, if it's – the guy's died. It's insane. He's, he's in better shape than he was at 22. Um, what do you call it? His arm's unbelievable still. And, I mean, I think he could have played till 50, as crazy as that sounds. He was in, still in great shape, and he's still playing so well. So, father time, he took your first loss, um, took it on the chin. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Tyler kind of beat me to it. I mean, you look at – you know, the great quarterbacks that retired recently, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers. I mean, Phillip Rivers was actually playing okay at the end. But Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Eli, uh, Ben. I mean, these guys are just shells of their former selves. Whereas Brady, who also got into the league, besides Peyton, got into the league before all of them, was still playing his best football. And still everyone thought he could keep playing, which is just a credit and a testament to the skill and the, the work ethic that he has. You know, for him to go out and everyone still think he could still be a Super Bowl winner and MVP, and these other guys are like, you know, heading to the retirement home. I think it says a lot. Um, you know, I have just from a personal standpoint, and then Jack, I'll let you kind of have our final word on the Brady retirement. Like I said, Tom Brady tormented my football team for years, always beating up on the New York Jets, killed them all the time. You want to talk about the butt fumble game or really anything? I mean, even Tom Brady and I are always intertwined. The last Jet game I covered as New York Jets beat reporter was Brady's final visit to MetLife Stadium with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, beating the Jets right in those final seconds, a classic Brady moment. Of course, I had to be there for that. Um, But, you know, when you have a villain like that, a guy who's always such a one-sided rivalry, when you do beat him the few times the Jets did, those are some of my best memories as Jet fan, as a Jet fan. You know, I'll never forget those games, whether it's, you know, 2015. I know it didn't work out in the end, but 2015, we're going on that playoff run. Well, not on the playoff run, but trying to win the division. I mean, get into the wild card, rather. We beat Brady week 16 at home at MetLife, walk off in overtime. Never forget that. We want to talk about in 20, what was it, 13, Geno Smith, who obviously turned out to be nothing, but beating Brady at home. Antonio Allen picked six off of Brady. Always going to remember that. But, of course, 
my one of my favorite wins as a Jet fan. It only, it only hurts that it happened when I was in the fifth grade. So it, it's not a recent enough memory. And that is the New York Jets going into Foxborough, defeating the Patriots in the divisional round of the 2010 season. Uh, just a tremendous game. Obviously, again, it always does what the Jets didn't pay off the next week. But look, Brady tormented me a lot. But that being said, when you have a villain like that, when you beat him, it's always memorable. So I have to say some of my best memories as a Jet fan are probably going to be with Tom Brady in mind in a certain sense. Uh, but Jack, final word on the topic. One of my favorite Tom Brady moments, I think it was during the 2014 season. And it wasn't an actual play that he um, was a part of. But Julian Edelman returns, I think, a 75-yard you know, punt for a touchdown. And he gets the ball around where the Patriots sideline is. Right. And Edelman runs it all the way back and he starts celebrating and Brady's right there with him. And he's like, Tom, did you just run all the way down the field to meet me to celebrate for this touchdown? And it was like the most pure, just awesome moment. And as good as he was as a player, I think the guys that played with him would say he's just as good of a teammate. So Brady made a lot of big time moments for me and, I don't know. I think he set a pretty good example. It was just kind of a, a person to be growing up. So love Tom Brady. Great guy. I'm glad to see him go out on his own terms and go Brady. I don't know if he's a great guy, but that's <laughs> uh, let's move on now. And unfortunately I hate having to, you know, have close the show on such a serious topic, but the conversation absolutely needs to be had and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. And that is of course, the Brian Flores lawsuit, the former Dolphins head coach this week filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL, Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants, and the Denver Broncos, alleging discrimination practices in the head coach interviewing process, uh, you know, saying there was racism in hiring. And when you, well, first of all, when you just look at the league and you realize that there's only one black head coach and that is Mike Tomlin. Um, I mean, Robert Sala is minority head coach. Ron Rivera is minority head coach, but they're not African-American, obviously. When you look at that alone and you realize the majority of the league is African-American, you, you know there's an issue. So it's hard to, to you know, you, you hear about the lawsuit and you can't be that surprised. And then when you go into the details, to me, it's hard to imagine. I don't know. I, I, to me, the NFL seems scared of this lawsuit and, uh, you know, I think they should be. And I think this is a, I think this lawsuit is a great thing. I mean, first off props to Brian Flores, the guy is sacrificing his career to bring about a change. He's doing it in a way what Kaepernick did. Um, but I think this is even going to bring back, bring out, bring about, excuse me, a more dramatic change. Um, you know, the, there's always been the Rooney rule, the idea that, you know, you had to interview a minority head coach externally, you had to interview a minority candidate for GM. Um, and on the surface, those rules seem to work. Uh, but it, to me, the system is broken. And I think Flores, look, he might never coach in the NFL again. Crazily enough, he's still the finalist for the Texans job. I don't, I don't know if he's going to get that now. But, you know, my hope is, and I think it's Flores' hope too, this brings about true change in the system. We get better representation for our, our head coaches and our GMs in this league. Because when you have a league that is predominantly black, I'm sorry, there needs to be representation at the coaching level that you're a predominantly black league. Uh, you know, I just think that's just, it's just the way it has to go. It's the way that makes sense. And there are some great candidates out there, African-American, who just haven't had a chance to be head coaches. And when you look at their resume and you compare it to their white colleagues, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, Josh McCown, who, look, he played for the Jets. I'm a fan of Josh. Um, Everyone who said, knew him said they could see him being a head coach. He's a finalist to be Texans head coach. He's never coached in his life. 
he he was a high school coach for about five seconds, but then you compare it to a guy like you know Eric Bieniemy, who's got the, the great resume, and for whatever reason or another, just can't get hired. You look at a guy like David Coley, who just somehow managed to get four wins out of a putrid Texans team. He, he turned Davis Mills into a starting quarterback. You know, that no one thought the team would be winless. He galvanized the Texans. He gets fired. It makes no sense. Um, you know, look, there's just so much to get into here. Um, you know, the evidence of the case, which to me seems pretty damning, whether you want to talk about the fact that we haven't seen the evidence specifically, but knowing Stephen Ross is an owner, I think, he, I mean, he's always come off as a bit of a slimy guy to me. Uh, so when you hear people say that he was going to pay, when Flores says he was offered to pay him $100,000 for every loss in 2019 when they were tanking, that doesn't surprise me. I'm sure there's evidence to that. Uh, and then, of course, those Belichick text messages pretty damning i think i mean just a classic old person doesn't know how to use a phone and you know little did know little did belichick know he'd be blowing this all up um you know i, I just to me the evidence seems overwhelming obviously this is all going to go to court um but i don't know so much to break down jack your thoughts first off flores and, and bill belichick they've got a good relationship flores used to be the dc for the path so you know i know that was a gaffe by belichick but I guess I'm kind of glad it happened because, you know, that definitely started putting some of these pieces together. Um, Mike, you, you mentioned a lot of what I wanted to say. I'm glad you brought it up, but I think I saw an interview where he said that he would be content not coaching again if there was legitimate change as a result of it. And listen, the, the Rooney rule, it, it makes sense why it's in place, but you just haven't seen that you know, any change as a result of it being implemented, you know, and I don't know what the solution is for the league. And honestly, I don't know quite all the specifics of the case yet. I think we're going to see more of that as, you know, it progresses, but the reality is, is that the, the Rooney rule doesn't work. And I really hope that we see some legitimate change as a result of this. I agree. I think the NFL is scared of this and, you know, I, I would hope that they'd kind of embrace it to, you know, I mean, I think the league's 70% black. That's just not fair when you have one black head coach. So, um, Tyler, I know you mentioned that, you know, you kind of broke some of this stuff down in, in your class. So um, I'd love to hear more of that kind of information. But my take is just, you know, something has to give. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is like – as sad as it sounds for Brian Flores' career, like uh, it's probably over, but this was necessary. I gotta like commend Brian Flores for doing this. I mean, he's a he's a great man for this. He's a real like that to be know that your career is gonna be in peril after this and most likely over, but to do it for the greater good of just black head coaches, black general managers, you know, front office, anybody in general, is such a it's, it's a move that only a great man would make. But um. I've always thought, like, yeah, the Rooney Rule, you know, good in concept, you know, it's, it's, you think about it, it sounds good. Interviewing a minority candidate, a black candidate has to happen. That being said, teams have found out how to maneuver around the Rooney Rule by just like interviewing once and then just never hiring them. And if, say, say you hire a black head coach, they're held to, I feel like they're held to a very, different standard than your typical white counterparts you look at guys like for example i don't know adam gaze or joe judge um guys that mike and i are very familiar with guys that are we'd say very bad head coaches they get a second year 
Um, they get more chances to, you know, prove themselves. David Coley in his first year, I wouldn't say David Coley is a good coach or a great coach by any means, but he did galvanize, as we said, um, galvanize that Texans team that like people would, some people thought they would go winless without Deshaun Watson. Um, I thought that would be the worst team in the NFL yet manages to get them four wins two against quality teams in the Tennessee Titans and the um, Los Angeles Chargers there um, where, I mean, that's impressive. I mean, and then he gets fired after one season. You look in the past, Tony Dungy getting fired after going to the playoffs with the Buccaneers. You look at Jim Caldwell, the last really good coach that the um, Detroit Lions had. Jim Caldwell, playoffs, playoffs, gets fired. Um, and he get fired. And then, like, what else? I could, I could go on. Lovey Smith getting fired after a winning season. You, we could go on for days. But it's the truth, the matter of the fact is, as a black head coach and just a black, I guess as a black head coach, general manager, you know, front office position of like, like a major, very important position that does not involve playing. They're held to a different standard than the white counterpart. And they have to be 10 times better at the job to retain their job than a white counterpart does. Cause I mean, 70% of the players are black. There's no no black owners in the league. No, there are not many black general managers or people in front office positions. All the owners are white or um not, or like minorities that you know the owners are predominantly white. They see and they hold black head coaches to different standards. I say I think it's ridiculous. I think that there are so and I don't think it's just like hire hire coaches based on their skin color or like. I think it's there should be hired on their best on merit, but there are so many qualifying head coaching candidates that are black that don't get a shot. Patrick Graham, the Giants' defensive coordinator, getting interviewed for the uh, Vikings job, did not get over. I mean, Kevin O'Connell got it. Not an indictment of Kevin O'Connell. I'm sure he's a great guy, but you look at him. Look at Eric Bieniemy. Uh, every every year, hot name in the coaching cycle. Hot name, never gets hired. And people are like, oh, he might be replacing Andy Reid when he retires. So who knows when Andy Reid's going to retire? I mean, I wouldn't want to retire if I had Patrick Mahomes a quarterback anyway. Um, and um, Pep Hamilton, the uh, I think he's the, the the Texans quarterbacks coach or offense coordinator this past year. Pep Hamilton's got a lot of experience recently. He's been a hot name, didn't get hired. There are names that I could go on for days. Just black head coaches, former coaches that – don't get a second shot around. And when they do, they get screwed. They get tossed in a terrible situation. Hugh Jackson with the Browns. Not saying he was a great coach, but he got tossed in a terrible situation with the Browns. Uh, that hurts his legacy more because puts more losses on the board. Um, it's just ridiculous. And i got to commend Brian Flores. He's coming out and doing this. It's brave. It's courageous. Um, I don't think he's really targeting like the Giants or the Broncos per se. I think he's more, it's a class action lawsuit, as we said. I think it's necessary. It's long overdue and props to Brian Flores. Hopefully this inspires some change for the NFL. Yeah. I mean, Tally, you said a lot there. I don't know how I can touch on all of it. I think yeah. <laughs> I went a little too long, but no, yeah. No, 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 it's yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, you know, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Uh, just some amazing points there. There was one thing you said in particular that I'm tr- I was going to say great point, but now I'm forgetting, but Look, whoever just listens to the podcast right now, I'm sure you heard some great dialogue. So enjoy the points that Tyler had. I mean, look, the bottom line is this. Um, you know, I just think that 
you know, David Coley fired the fired filed, excuse me, this lawsuit on the first day of Black History Month. And it's hard not to think about, uh, you know, some of the civil rights icons who sacrificed their lives. I mean, obviously, this is not nearly as severe as that. And by sacrifice their lives, I meant more like the betterment of their lives, not necessarily their physical lives. Obviously, there were people who did that as well. Um, but the point is, you know, it's hard not to think about the people that came before and made these great sacrifices. And now for Flores on the first day of Black History Month to just sacrifice his career. And he's, he, I, I'm sorry, I don't think he's ever going to coach again in the NFL. And I just can't get over how powerful that is that he knows that and he's doing it. Um, you know, he mentioned in an interview that when he got those Belichick texts, um, he felt humiliated. And honestly, like just reading them, like I cringe reading them. Um, Cause I can only imagine he just felt like used, like I can just imagine the way that he felt um, I think anyone would have felt that way if they were in his position. And again, he's coming off two winning seasons, um, you know, two of the better seasons for the Dolphins in the last 20 years. They haven't had back-to-back winning seasons since 2003. Um, you know, I guess the firing just makes no sense. Uh, it just, it's such a sad situation. I think like just a mixture of sad frustration, anger, um, you know, it's just uh, I'm, another question for me is if you're a player on the Giants or the Dolphins or the Broncos, first of all, Dolphin situation, putting the, the racist stuff aside, you have a head co- uh, owner paying coaches to lose. I'm sorry. That's violating the integrity of the game. And that owner needs to be forced to sell. I've always hated Stephen Ross. I don't think he's a good guy. And this now just, uh, you know, verifies that. And I'm sorry. I don't think someone would make up this type of allegation. The, the Dolphins behavior is consistent with that type of allegation. He needs to be forced to sell. Um, but look, it's, it's, you know, but if you're a player for the, the Dolphins, the Giants, or the Broncos, you're African-American, you're black. Are you really, you know, you hear about this lawsuit, you hear it's being said. Are you going to, you know, I think you need to go to ownership and say, like, hey, what the heck's up with this? If you're Saquon Barkley, do you go up to John Mara and do you say, like, what's the deal? Like, you call them out. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, I just, I don't, you know, it's just such a tough situation. And it's just, the bottom line is this, you know, there's so many things we can say. And I want to hear your guys' final thoughts before we wrap up the segment and wrap up the show. Um there needs to be change and there needs to be dramatic change. The system is broken. And my hope is my prayer is, and I think it will be that this Flores lawsuit will bring about the change that we desperately need. Uh, it's not about the money. It's about bringing about change in the hiring process. I think Flores knows that and we can only hope for change, but quick final word, Jack, you first. Yeah, absolutely agree. I just have never been able to wrap my head around why Eric B is not a head coach. Um, and, you know, if this has anything to do with that, then I agree They they're just it, it's broken. Something needs to give. So I hope there's an amendment to the Rooney rule. I hope there's something different. But, you know, if Brian Flores is the one to kind of um, get that ball moving, I, I'm really happy to see that. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, as I said, I've pretty much laid out all my final thoughts in my past little spiel, but um. I honestly, Stephen Ross, yeah, no, I'm like, you know, I'm better than I do as a Jets fan, as the AFC East rival. I mean, Stephen Ross has just not put out a competitive team in 20 in a while, and he's just not a good owner. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure he, like, made some, like, bad statements when Kenny Stills, like, kneeled for the anthem back in, like, 2016, 15, 16. He did. He did did say some questionable things. But, you know, he's a bad owner. Um, This is a violation of integrity not just for like betters, all that stuff, just for integrity in the league. Like he, he, cause if, if Flores accepts, he loses all those games, Steven Ross is probably going to fire him at the end of the season. Um, 
the players most likely would lose their jobs, uh, get cut, and not play much more because they'd be playing for bad teams. Um, it's, I mean, just playing, it's it's just bad. It's it's all around terrible. Um, I'm going to be honest, I wish really nothing but the worst on the Dolphins now that I found out this. Uh, hope Jalen Waddle gets out of there because he's my, one of my favorite players in the league. Um, but otherwise, I wish nothing but the worst on the Dolphins. I really hope this that karma hits them in the face for years to come. Like this is a ter- this is a terrible look for the league. Just really, I just really, really disgusting behavior. Uh, in terms of the Dolphins and the, I mean, and the Broncos and the Giants, I don't know much of the Broncos situation. I'm not a Broncos fan, but I am a Giants fan. I think that the Giants are not racist, and their intent is not racist. I think John Mara has had Brian Flores as his number one option. He raved about Flores, really wanted him to pre, uh, pre-draft, like the hiring process. They employed Patrick Graham as a defensive coordinator. They had Jerry Reese for like 11 years as the general manager. So they do have black people in, pow- in places of power. That being said, if, if I'm a player, I would be. I would definitely want to go to ownership or go to Joe Shane, go to go to Brian Dable, go to somebody with power, talk to them, have a legitimate conversation with them. I know I don't know if they're able to contact, like keep in contact with their direct contact with the team as the um in the offseason yet. Now that the NFL league season is not over yet, I don't know if they can. But I would have I'll, if I'm Saquon Barkley, if I'm Sterling Shepard, who's another leader on the Giants, um, even a young guy like Xavier McKinney, like one of these like. I'd really be worried. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to go to talk to ownership, talk to Mara. And I'm sure Mara will be open to this um, because, you know, he kind of has to be. Can't really shut down your own players. That's a terrible look. Um, yeah, no, I would be worried. I would be, I'd go to ownership and have a legitimate conversation with them. So, um, yeah, this is something to be worried about. But, um, I'd like to end by just saying I wish nothing but the worst on the Miami Dolphins. Um, I hope karma hits them in the face. Uh, yeah, Tyler, you said a lot there. Um, I'll say this about the Giants. I mean, look, I respect where you're coming from. I mean, look, yeah, uh, Jerry Reese was a, a black general manager. Uh, simple fact is the Giants had never had a black head coach. Um, and, you know, we could have all the rumor mill reports in the world that Brian Flores was the top candidate. The Belichick texts say otherwise. Um and look, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not saying they're racist, but they've never they didn't have a black quarterback start for them up until a few years ago. Uh, they never had a black head coach. Uh, I don't know. It's not at the bottom line. It's not a good look, and there needs to be some some changes for them. There needs to be changes for the league, and that's the best we can hope for at this Brian Brian Flores lawsuit. So again, I don't care who you are, what you think of the situation. The bottom line is this: there are issues, systemic issues within the National Football League. They need to change. It. ASAP as soon as possible major issues so props to Brian Flores he's he's doing he's going above and beyond nothing but credit to him hope it works out for the best and hope we get that change we desperately desperately need so that is going to do it for us on this edition of NFL Friday thank you so much for joining us you can listen to the show every week on iTunes Spotify WFUVsports.org or wherever you get your podcasts for Jack Roach and Tyler Who, I'm Michael Legan. NFL Friday is a production of WFUV Sports.